Long before he wrote the novel Wicked, Gregory Maguire had people acting out the story of The Wizard of Oz. As a child, when the movie would play on TV each year, he'd gather his friends to perform it together. But the original version only held their attention for so long, so he told one interviewer, after a while, to keep my playmates occupied, I began to tinker with it. He would direct the other kids, this time, you be Dorothy, you be the Cowardly Lion, and you be Captain Hook. And of course, someone would say, Captain Hook isn't in that story. And McGuire says he would tell them, it's our story now. We can do what we want with it. If you haven't seen or read Wicked, there's going to be a lot of spoilers, but that's just what he did. The book veers even further away from the source material, but the musical goes far enough. In his story, the Wicked Witch of the West is a good guy, and she's trying to fight against an evil authoritarian regime led by the wizard, and Glinda, the so-called good witch, is at best morally complicated, also originally named Galinda, for reasons that are kind of stupid in the plot. And both the Scarecrow and the Tin Man are involved in separate love triangles with her. Also, there are talking animals. It's a whole different story. Maguire tinkers with the story a lot. Many of the characters seem almost the exact opposite of what you thought them to be. And I imagine for some Wizard of Oz purists, the show might be kind of upsetting. Glinda is supposed to be good. Elphaba is supposed to be evil. Also, she's not supposed to have a name. You're not allowed to tinker with a classic. There is no Captain Hook in this story. But from the first time I saw the show, what struck me was how well it fit with the original, like how seamlessly they are woven together until it feels like they might have been written together. And I just couldn't imagine how well Maguire must have known the original to create this other story which flows out from it and around it so easily and rings so true how close he must have gotten to those characters to understand what they would do and hear what they would say in a new situation. How much he must have loved them to give them this new life. And whether the purists like it or not, everyone else does, so now it's part of the canon. I think something similar happens with the story of Jesus, especially for progressive Christians or for people who who might have been Christians, except they were told somewhere along the way, or all along the way, this is not your story. You're not in this story. Don't, Don't try to tinker with this story. I once got an angry email from the in-laws of a congregant saying I had no right to change neither a jot nor a tittle of the good book, which phrasing I respected because if you're gonna send that kind of email, at least do it in King James English. There's a sense among a lot of religious people that the way we show that these stories are sacred is that we don't touch them. We don't tinker with them. We change neither jot nor tittle, at least after 1611. A lot of people think that way. Maybe you think that way. Or at least maybe you believed it when someone else told you you should think that way. That being a Christian means thinking that way. But I'll tell you one group that did not think about scripture that way. The people who wrote the Bible. 
And now I have to apologize because I'm gonna try to teach you something. And even worse, the thing I'm gonna try to teach you is called biblical source criticism, which is as nerdy as it sounds, but I'm gonna try to do it fast and I'm gonna use the Wizard of Oz. So hopefully we'll get through it. That either makes it better or worse for you, depending. <laughs> okay, so the first thing you should probably know is that source criticism is the study of the sources used by biblical authors and biblical compilers to create their works. And, and it's the study of what that reveals about how the books were written and when and by whom. So if the original Wizard of Oz musical were one of the four gospels, which I think is a phrase you all showed up to hear, <laughs> The original Wizard of Oz would be Mark. It's the earliest one, which we know for one thing because Matthew and Luke both copy off of it. They structure their story from Mark's, but they also make changes. They leave some things out, they add others, they change the emphasis. They tell the same story, but they tell it in their own way for their own reasons, which makes them the whiz. Like, the beats of the plot are basically the same, but some details have changed. Like, instead of being a teenager in Kansas swept up by a tornado, Dorothy is a kindergarten teacher in New York City who gets lost in a snowstorm. And instead of being an itinerant preacher whose story starts with his baptism, Jesus is the son of a virgin mother whose birth is attended by angels. Just small details that they added or changed. Also, a side note about both source criticism and the Wizard of Oz, which has nothing to do with anything else I'm gonna preach, but I could not make myself leave it out because it just works. Sometimes Matthew and Luke agree on a story, or like leave in a story that isn't in Mark, they, but they share this other story, and that makes scholars guess that the two books also share another source that didn't survive, which they give the mysterious name Q, which is exactly like how Dorothy's shoes are silver in the Wiz and in Wicked, but not in the movie, because they're both drawing off the original L. Frank Baum book, where they were silver, and then MGM changed them. Okay, back to the actual sermon. After watching Wizard of Oz and The Wiz, turning to Wicked is like, wait, what? The show starts with the death of the Wicked Witch of the West. That's supposed to come all the way at the end. So it's clear from the jump that something is different which definitely makes it the Gospel of John. Instead of starting the story at like Jesus's birth or his baptism, it starts at the beginning of time with a word that becomes flesh. It's very cosmic, very weird. And eventually some of the same things happen, but they usually mean something different than they do in the other three. And some of the characters seem almost the opposite of what they were in the earlier stories. But even in those earlier stories, like Matthew and Luke, they were being tinkered with. Just made up, some of them, out of nowhere, like a snowstorm. There are things in Matthew that, that aren't in Mark and that we don't think are in Q. They get labeled special Matthew, which sounds kind of condescending, like, oh, Matthew, that's a very special story you made up. But it just means he's the only one who has it. And at least some of those, we figure he kind of just wrote all by himself, a new story about Jesus. Maybe it had been floating around the community, but he puts it down for the first time in his own words. Something different to keep his people occupied. 
And that's true about our scripture today. The story that people love about sheep and goats, about Jesus saying, when you feed the hungry or when you visit the prisoner, it's actually me you're caring for. This story is is special Matthew. It doesn't show up anywhere else. He just seems to have made it up. And maybe in the beginning, there were people who said, you can't do that. You're not supposed to change jot or tittle. You can't just add scripture out of nowhere. There is no Captain Hook in this story. But over the years, most people who read it have agreed it fits the original so well, so seamlessly. If he made it up, he must have known those characters so intimately to be able to hear just what they would say. He must have really loved them to know just the way they would act. And actually, that's what this scripture is all about. How there's this group that believe they know Jesus so well, but they only recognize him when he shows up in just the way they're expecting. They only know him when he looks just the way he's supposed to look, according to them. But Jesus says, those closest to me, they recognize me everywhere. In prison, at the urgent care, on the street corner. The ones who really know me, they're writing new Jesus stories everywhere they go, with every person they meet. Where anyone is suffering, I'm there with them in Kabul, in an ICU in Florida, in people bearing down in the path of a hurricane, I'm there. I have to tell you, I finished this sermon on Thursday, which is always my goal and never happens. And then I was on Facebook and saw all these ministers like scrapping what they had written, starting over again, preaching out of lamentations. I spent two days looking at the same news stories that you've been looking at, probably feeling a lot of the same fear and anxiety you might be feeling. And I thought, am I really gonna preach this weird sermon about biblical interpretation through the lens of the Wizard of Oz? Can I really do that this week? Should I really do that? Obviously I decided yes. Because actually this week it feels very important that we have been given a made-up story about Jesus saying, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. In a week, in a country in which people are claiming that God doesn't want them to wear masks, when people who claim to read the Bible without changing a jot or tittle are telling stories of Jesus that don't ring true, it feels important for me to say, this is our story now. Especially because I know some of you have been told it isn't. This is your story. And what makes it sacred is not not touching it. What makes it sacred is not keeping people from tinkering with it, from adding to it. What makes it sacred is not that we leave it alone, but that we keep it alive. What makes it sacred is that we keep the story going, keep adding to it. What makes it sacred is that we get to know these characters so well that we can hear what they'd say in a new situation. We can recognize them in a new face. The purists might find that upsetting. They might ask, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or in prison? That's not part of the story. But the people who were closest to Jesus always knew. 
What makes the story sacred is when it becomes our own. When we let it guide us through the pain and anger of each week, through the pain and anger of this week. When we let it spur us on to action, when we draw so close to it, so close to the one at the heart of it that we can say with confidence, this is our story now. We can do what he would want with it.